Welcome to Asray Pod with Amy Quinn and Joe Walsh. Guests in two of our most recent episodes each separately discussed legendary Asbury Park musician Dolores D. Holland. So we thought we should learn a bit more about D. ourselves. Joining us today from Texas is D. Holland's daughter, Paulette Holland Fantamalunga, and we talk about her mom and her trajectory from child prodigy to working musician. Welcome, Paulette. The matters addressed in this podcast represent my own personal views and opinions concerning issues affecting the citizens of Asbury Park in my capacity as the deputy mayor of the city of Asbury Park. They do not necessarily represent the official position of the city or the official position of the Asbury Park City Council as a whole. I am developing and implementing this podcast in an effort to keep citizens informed. However, this is not an official City of Asbury Park podcast and does not, and I repeat, does not represent the official position of the city or the governing body. Their interviews always hit the mark, so subscribe to Asbury Park. I mean, pod, be informed, don't be in the dark. Everybody listen to Asbury Park. I mean, pod, everything you need to know. Brought to you by Amy and Joe. If you're local, they're the pod for you. But Bennies are welcome and Shoebies too. Route 35 to Convention Hall. Asbury Pod covers it all. Asbury Pod, I love you. I love you. It's uh, March 20th, uh, Women's History Month, and uh, excited to have uh, Asbury, Asbury Pod listeners today. We are going to uh, talk a little bit about D. Holland and Paulette, you wouldn't know this, but our last two podcasts we had on was the AP Museum and then APM, okay. um, the Asbury Park African American Heritage Project with Jen Souter and Yvonne Clayton, and um, the Asbury Park Museum with Michelle Gladden and Kay Harris. And needless to say, your um, uh, your mom was brought up in both those podcasts, which is what gave us the idea to you know reach out to you and thank you for um, for uh, taking the time with us today. Um, do you want to do a little introduction on yourself? Uh, sure. Um, I'm Paulette Holland Malunga, and um, my my mom was was D Holland. She lived to be 97 years old. And she passed November 7th of 2020. Um, she was basically, you know, a, a local musician, however, very well known in the jazz genre, very well known. Um, uh, in Newark, at the at one of the hotels, it mainly was the Robert Treat Hotel. They would have yearly an organ players jam, and uh, we would go. And once some once they knew that D Holland was in the audience, they just call her up. They just call her up, and she picked that Hammond B threes. You know what skirt? You know <laughs> <laughs> she'd kick it. Um, and Paula, can I ask one question just because it's an Asbury podcast? Uh, you grew mm -hmm. up in Asbury Park? Oh, yes. I'm, 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 I grew up Neptune, Neptune Asbury. Okay. Same okay. difference. 
and, and went to Neptune High School. I went to Neptune High. Okay. And then lived in Asbury. Then you had a house in Asbury Park for years because I think I met you um, when you were yeah. part of the Environment and Shade Tree Commission. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I got out of high school in 72, went to, it was Newark State College then. And I graduated from there. And I, I worked for the state. Now it's Department of Children's Services uh, for 29 years until I retired. And oh, that's interesting. Wow. I think then we have that. When you say you you work for the state, you don't mean DIFUS. Yes, I do. Oh, so I worked for DIFUS. Oh, isn't that interesting? I worked for DIFUS out of college in Jersey City for years and for about four or five years. And then I bless you. Well, I have to tell you, I came out of it beaten and battered. I know you did. 200 pounds and on a lot of antidepressants. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it, I did a residential treatment. And surprisingly, we, we would get a lot of children from, from the shore area, quite a few, quite a few. And when I started, well, yeah, when I started with uh, the state, it was around the time of the ACE pandemic really surging. And it was just so sad, you know, we'd be taking kids to funerals and to grave sites because they were in placement and couldn't get to the funeral. And it, you know, kids were losing a, a father one month, the next two months, a stepmother, and then the next month, a mother. And it, it, it was just heartbreaking, it was just heartbreaking. And um, yeah, it's a tough, it's a tough gig to have. Um, yeah. I will tell you, though, any skills that I have developed over the years are mm-hmm. a result of that job, right? Because you had to, you know, you had to have kindness and empathy. And, you know, if you were going to remove somebody's kids, um, because I was in the um, the intake unit who made that decision. Oh my God. And it was, um, you know, you develop skills to try yeah. to do that, and not have the shit beaten out of you. Right. And um mm-hmm. Any, you know, any kind, and uh, I can't tell you how many skills I developed at that job that have served me 20 some years later. You become able to deal with any type of individual, rich, poor, white, black. And and they're all called, right? They call on everybody. It's not, absolutely. You got it. You got it. The best of neighborhoods, they get calls, you know, they get called in. You know, and I might have to delete this later, but and then we're going to digress. Then we're going to stop uh-huh. this poor Joe. Quick editorial note: uh, We did need to delete part of this conversation as it strayed pretty far afield from our subject today, D. Holland. I'm sorry, Joe. Change the topic. Yeah, let's talk about let's talk about D, let's talk about D. Holland. I mean, this is I think right. we should have another episode just talking about this uh, and what what service uh, social service workers have to deal deal with. Uh, but um, so you know, uh, Paul. You know, in the over the last couple of weeks, as we were talking to other entities, and your mom figures prominently, and she played with everyone. And so I, you know, did a, yeah. did some digging in them, and I I was I found this one um, article where it says like you know your mom you know learned how to play by ear before taking um, formal lessons. I guess her her you had a family member, godmother's husband, who played classical piano, and she could yeah. hear and emulate. 
And someone, you know, I think in one of the things I said, that, uh, read that said she was able to play Humoresque by Dvorak by ear, you know, between, I guess, be, you know, before she started taking lessons at seven. And I was just astounded by that. That's an amazing. That's yeah, a- she her her ear was amazing. It was mm-hmm. amazing. Um, uh, from what from what the family story goes, it was like this. My grandmother. Her mom wanted her to be musically inclined. And in our house, there were only three types of music that we ever listened to or were able to jazz, gospel and classical. That was it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Uh, and it was it was a major event when Chubby Checker made the twist and my mm-hmm. grandmother allowed it in the house. OK, uh-huh. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but. Um, Mommy's grand, excuse me, godmom had lost a baby. And my grandmother wanted to help her friend, her dear friend, to get over her loss. And her friend and her and, and her husband, the friend and husband, they were musicians. And they they played and one of the things that they played they played the you know the the humorists and mommy picked it up and just played it played it by ear boom just like that she uh her ear is legendary legendary and mom's talent basically brought the family through the great depression Mm-hmm. Uh, my grandfather would take mom to uh, the hotels in Asbury Park and Ocean Grove. And he would play piano and she would dance. Then she would play piano and he would dance. <laughs> and that kept that kept the family. And mom was mom was very young, around seven, eight, not and, and around that age. And that kept our family off of the bread lines. Mm-hmm. It's interesting you mentioned um, uh, the classical jazz and gospel sort of triangle there. You know, mm-hmm. A lot, that's not the first time I've heard that. A lot of the great famous jazz musicians were also classically trained, right? So Absolutely. We, uh, I think Fats Waller, famous, you know, who wrote um, Honeysuckle Rose right here in Asbury Park, mm-hmm. you know, um, was a classical Art, piano Art player. Art Tatum, yes. Art, yeah, all of them. Yeah, and you, you hear it quoted in jazz all the time, a little bit mm-hmm. of Busey pops in. And, you know, it says a lot about the, the, the time, but the, the kind of musical atmosphere that people in the 20s and 30s were growing up in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it generated this huge, like, fertile musical output from the 30s, 40s, 50s, the jazz, yeah. which rolls into like pop and, and, you know, and eventually into the rock and roll of Chubby Checker. It all comes out of that same sort of, atmosphere and your, your mom seems to be um uh, no yeah. no di- no different you know um the dancing is interesting i i wish we were able to see that you know uh uh that's yeah that's long. also you right. know, va- va- <laughs> yes. Vaudeville, Vaudeville, right? yeah mm-hmm. yeah the whole bit you know jazz is 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 oftentimes uh coined as black classical music ab- ab- absolutely i think uh uh nicholas payton the trumpet player uses that a lot uh, mm-hmm. in his uh, postings and um and it's true because it's not it is not um i'm, I'm an amateur 
a jazz musician myself, I tell people I'm a dedicated but terrible jazz guitar player. It is a complicated discipline. You cannot roll into a jazz uh, music without yeah. without skill, right? And, Absolutely. And a lot of it comes from you know classical and pro, uh, and and formal classical training, or at least mm-hmm. formal a classical ear, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and when your mom was playing in the hotels, though, I think I, I saw multiple times in the few things I saw written about her. You know, this is not diverse Asbury Park, right? This is you know whites only hotels. Yeah. You know, and um, and you know, did she ever talk about that experience, like what it was like to perform in under that kind of duress, right? You know, welcome as a an entertainer, but not as a guest. Well, one thing Mom said is that uh, the um, the patrons and sometimes the management of the establishments she played at, you know, because she she played at quite a quite a few. But uh, Harbor Island Spa was she had that gig for years, and um, they would say, "Dolores, why don't you smile? Why don't you smile?" And mom would say, because I'm working, I'm not right. playing, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. And all, uh, I mean, but also what a, um, what a presumptive question, right? After, you know, um, I think women get that on the street. Uh, How about that? To, right. How about that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And did your, and your mom, you know, in the context of the other two podcasts, your mom played a lot on Springwood Ave. She so- did. When I was a little girl, my grandpa. I was going to say, yeah, describe. So it's so interesting, especially Yvonne is so great about describing and Kay Harris, quite frankly. They mm-hmm. both were yeah. amazing describing, um, you know, what Springwood Ave was like. I came, I came here in about 2000, so it was a different, different world was, back then. Yeah, it was the business district and everybody shopped there, black, white, blue, green, yellow. It, it didn't matter. People shopped on Springwood Avenue. You had Nahans, you had uh, a pharmacy, you had uh, all kinds of hair establishments, you know, barbershops, beauty shops. Um, There were bars and clubs, uh, grocery stores, um, fishes, uh, department store. Uh, it was a whole community course. center, right? There's a lot of vibrant, like entrepreneurship, yes. arts, yes. music, um, clothes, everything right in the heart everything, of this district. Everything right? was there. It, and it was surprisingly, it was family oriented. Um, mom told me that when they were when they were kids, you know, grandpa used to take take everybody and they just ride down Springwood Avenue and then they park and then they look at everything, see everything happening. It, it was uh, it was a, a family pastime to do that, you know, on you know just to, just to be a part of the hustle and the bustle. Yeah, Amy, and all the um, this has come up in multiple interviews with uh, our guests over the last year and a half, and we get a sense of sort of a cultural grief about the loss of that community, you know, as time passed on. I mean, really, you know, really tied people you know it was really tied into the the community where people lived and so when it sort of evaporated and fell apart it's left a hole that people still mourn right this many years later there's nothing like it there's Mm -hmm. there's nothing there's nothing like it that presented afterwards 
and there's nothing like it now. Hopefully with the revitalization, uh, there will be something that even if it's not like it, it will have that same vibe. So that, you know, the people that live there will feel like they are a part of something vibrant and alive. Because that's what Springwood Avenue was. I think that's kind of, you know, uh, the Asbury Park uh, African-American Music Heritage Project just bought the Turf Club Mm -hmm. and it's going to cost a small fortune um, for them to to do the work that needs to be done for it. But I think, Mm -hmm. you know, Yvonne and Jen and and that entire board, Charles Trott and Ruben Bray, like all of them, I think just they felt so compelled to try to, um, you know, keep this little piece of Asbury Park. That's the only thing that's left. That's it. And now That's did did your mom play at the turf club? She played at the turf. She played at the Redwood. She played at Big Bills. She played at the Big Elks, which was the one that was burned down during the riots. And when I was a little girl and mom would go to play at night, my grandfather would bring me and he'd park on, I think that's, is that Avenue A? That little, that little street there. I think it may, I, I don't remember the name of it, but he, he parked there and then he'd take me to the window and pick me up so I could look down because the, the bar was in the basement, I guess, you know, and he put me in the window so I could look down and see what mommy was doing. I was a little girl, but I remember it, you know, and um, it was that had, that had to be pretty exciting to see watching your mom perform in a, Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. You know, I and she played at the um, NCO club out at Fort Monmouth um, with Al Al Wright and a lot of the fellows that were in the army band. They all gigged together. You know, and uh, let's see where else um, the Redwood mm-hmm. played there. Um, well, I think that when we're when we're talking to musicians from that era, they all played, all played everywhere. All the clubs, all the all, clubs, and they all played in each other's bands. I mean, there was no, yes. and um, there was a whole rotating community of professional musicians. Mm-hmm. You know, with with a pretty high level of talent um, holding yeah. you down the stage on any given night, all over Springwood, all over Monmouth County, really, right? You know, if you go yeah. over to the um, the Blue Note. Oh yeah, that yeah, oh, right. Mm-hmm. That I almost forgot that one. Yeah, because that was right on Bangs next to the old police station. And your your mom played the Apollo at once one point also, or did I did I read that or did I? I don't I don't know that she did or not. I I really mm-hmm. don't know. Mm-hmm. I just saw that one of the interviews, but that was mm-hmm. you know towards the end of her life, so maybe uh, mm-hmm. um, um well, you, you mentioned briefly um uh, the riots, Paulette. It, was your, you know, and and what that did to Springwood Ave and, and really all of Asbury Park at the end of the day, yeah. certainly Springwood Ave. Um, now, were you were you all living in Neptune or Asbury Park during that time? Were you witnessing this we, kind of we, burning? We lived or? in Neptune. We, we, were, we were from Neptune. Um, we lived in, uh, um, it was off of, it was, the street was called Harrison Street. It was off of Embury Avenue. And it was a vibrant black neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, Larry Lawson's grandmother and mother, they lived on Embury. 
we lived on Harrison, which was off of Embury. And then you had Division Street, and then you had streets that would go from Corley's Avenue up to uh, uh, Corley's Avenue to Atkins Avenue. And it was a vibrant black, it was, I think it was really, I think it was black and Italian hmm. for the most part, you know, for quite a while. And uh, when urban renewal came through, you know, people were offered whatever. I, I was very young then. I was very young then. And I just remember hearing this and that and the other about urban renewal. I didn't know what Samuel meant. And that was, I would say, around 1960, somewhere around there. And uh, what they did was uh, buy out the, the homeowners and they built homes elsewhere, they lived wherever. And all that area was raised and you have just the Neptune school complex, the Neptune projects, the senior citizens piece. And um, that extends, I guess, over to the, the old village. Hmm. For those, uh, if you're listening to the podcast and not familiar with the area, we're talking about Asbury Park and Neptune. This section of Neptune and Asbury, they're, they're interjoined. They're, they're intertwined. Like, they're, they're yeah, like, it, like, like puzzle pieces. You walk two feet in one direction, you're Neptune. So this is right. essentially and, part of and, the, you know, the same neighborhood. And people didn't, you know, the people that lived in Neptune, they, they you know, well, you're from Asbury Park, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know. Right. That, that's how it went until much later then there was a distinction. And when, when did you think that, when did that distinction start? And why do you think that started? Um, uh, after the riots. After the riots. After the riots, you know, it, it was, it really made a difference, you know, and what happened was um, a lot of African-Americans that were in the service, they came here from all over and they bought homes and and they bought homes up the hill. And uh, that changed things too. That changed things too, in that some of those folks they may have heard of as whatever, but they didn't. And with the riots having happened, it gave Asbury Park a stigma. It split that community. People didn't want to be from Asbury Park mm-hmm. at that time anymore. No. Did Neptune have its own high school at that point, or did everyone go to Asbury? Neptune had its own high school. Oh. Neptune, Neptune High School, the original Neptune High School, was on. What's an Ocean Grove? Yeah, uh, was it? Yeah, Cookman Avenue. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Main Street, no Main Street. Main Street, Main- no, an Ocean on the corner. It's, it's, of, yeah. it's an arts center now. Uh huh. Yep. Okay, that was the old Neptune High School. Mm-hmm. And then they built the high school on um, Neptune. It's Neptune Boulevard. It was Springdale Avenue before, mm-hmm. you know. Hmm. And your mom, you know, her life is very interesting. You know, she wasn't a professional musician her whole life. And then she had a long hiatus as a working for the government. Well, she worked mm-hmm. for the government mm-hmm. and she still played. Okay. She, she always did. She always mm. did. But she worked for the government. She started working for the government 
1941. And I, if I'm not mistaken, she started working for the government in Newark first, or it may even have been, it's either Newark or Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but, and, and she either switched from one to the other and then eventually came back to New Jersey and got a job at Fort Monmouth. And she was at Fort Monmouth until they built the Seacom building and she worked there and retired in January of 1988. And mm-hmm. she had like, like 40, 41 years of service with the federal government. But she always gigged. She worked in the churches, she, she played the churches, directed choirs on, you know, on choir rehearsals and church on Sunday and Friday mm-hmm. and Saturday night, she gigged in clubs. And more than one church, right? I think she played. Uh, yes, yeah, she uh, just about every church. AME, <laughs> St. Yeah. Stephen's AME Zion. Uh-huh. Uh, she was a second Baptist for like, I, I guess, over 20 years. Um, any, <laughs> just about every church. Uh, uh, church is out in the. Um, oh, gosh. And Titten Falls. I can't think of the name of that church. There was a church out there. She played it, you know. It's so working full time, doing gigs, gigs, and raising a family. Well, raising me, just raising me, you. the only child. Okay, I mean that's that's a lot. Yeah, you that's got that lot. right. Yeah, <laughs> got that lot. right. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean that's a hard that's a hardworking person, right? That's you know to, um, I you to to play. Um, friends of mine are professional musicians. You know, when they're out Friday and Saturday, they're out, uh, you know, the bars used to close at least, you know, later. So they'd be playing until two, three in the morning. Yeah. You know, then coming home, then getting up for work, you know, getting up for church, uh, and then going to work on, on Monday. So that's seven day a week, seven days a week of that's work. Of of work. work every right? day. Yeah. Work every day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And could you you couldn't watch your mom perform, I guess, until Other than kind of sneaking and and kind of watching through the window uh, when you were young, they're going to bar because everybody knew my mother, and I knew I would get caught, so I did not. (laughs) (laughs) So not until later were you able to kind of go in. Yeah, when I got when I got to be grown, when I was in college, I could I could go, you know, I could go to different places where mom played. Oh, nice! And what was that experience like? It was great. It was great. It was great. You know, I, I, I always enjoyed hearing mom play. Always enjoyed. And she played up and she, she played, even though she had dementia, the one thing she could, she could always play. Um, I met your mom. Um, I think it was 2019, right before the pandemic at the um, Asbury, yes. we were doing a black history month yes. and she was there. Um, and, uh, the city was honoring her and her, you know, contributions. Um, um, well, she was playing out until into, into her eighties, correct? Oh yes. Yeah. I saw the interview with Karen and, mm-hmm. you know, she played she's, Karen, mm-hmm. Danny Walsh, mm-hmm. uh, Desi Norman, uh, Kyle Hicks, mm-hmm. and they all called her mom. Yeah. You know, she, you know, I think I, I, I wrote it down. She was playing until she was 86 or 87 years old. That's quite yeah. an achievement, you know. Yeah. Um, 
and her style, you know, um, on the Hammond, playing the Hammond V3, it reminds me, uh, uh, well, that reminds me of it. There's a whole uh, jazz, um, a lot of great female organ players, like Shirley Scott from Philadelphia. Yeah. There, was, there was a whole um, school that she fits into. And, uh, you know, and interestingly, nightclub acts, you know, there's not a lot of video from that time to see. Right. You know, right. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. You know, her reputation is huge. And and because of the nature of her work, uh, you know, clubs also going back to the 20s and 30s and 40s, there's not, you know, a lot of not a lot of video recording archive. Right. Us, you know, her, um, so we feel like they missed out on recording some pretty amazing stuff. So I saw her play some of her playing um, in the memorial you had put together. Um, yes. Um, yeah. You know, you know, playing the Christmas song on the organ. It sounded so, so great. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, so again, she must have been in her 90s at this point. Um, yeah, she just she just played and she went with whatever was happening. She switched from the Hammond B3 to synthesizers because they were easier to, to carry on, carry on again. You, <laughs> yeah. know you can't carry a Hammond around, right? Well, they did for a so while. You guys have to explain what that is for people who might Uh-oh. not know, a.k.a. me. OK, a, a Hammond B3 is and i don't even think they, they don't make it anymore they don't hammond hammond organs does not make that instrument anymore it's um it's an organ uh two-layer keyboard and pedals for the bass and um it's like the standard of uh, of, of the organ trio hmm. that's that's the standard that's that's the gold standard and anybody who's got a having B3, it's got to be held at, at least 50 years old by now, I guess. You know? Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the, uh, like the rock and roll organ and the, the jazz organ, right? It so is. It if, is. You, if you hear an organ in pop music from the 50s, 60s, um, it's got a, it's got a signature sound. You kind of know when yes. you hear it. And, you know, if you're looking at the, the Jimmy Smith, um, some great organ players, mm-hmm. um, you know, but it bleeds into pop music too, that it was, it was everywhere. I'm trying uh, to think of a, a, a rock and roll band that used, because because everybody used the Hammond B3. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm looking, you know, I'm looking up a list while we're talking, and uh, the first 15 people on this list are all jazz uh, players. So, um, but I know- Rock and roll bands use it too. Yeah, like I think Deep Purple uses it. So- um, Yeah. Did the Chambers Brothers use it? Uh, I'm going to guess yes. I would say so. <laughs> yeah, John- I, 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 Yep. Yeah, John Medeski, um, mm-hmm. um, Billy Preston, who played with the Rolling Stones. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, you know, yeah, definitely. And the Beatles played with a with Hammond. So it's so yeah. I mean, it's 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 the organ uh, that it's, that's that's the only way to describe it, right? And so, and so you bring in again, just because of all of between Joe and I, he will tell you I'm the least musical person. <laughs> so you bring this organ with you on gigs, gig to gig to gig, yeah. And then you got and you got my mother standing there watching them. Your, like, your mom was tiny. No, she she wasn't carrying. Okay. She was watching them carry. <laughs> and don't break this organ, you know. Yeah. Uh, lift it, lift it, lift it, you know. <laughs> it was portable, but not easily. It wasn't as wide as a piano because it had stacked keys. Right, stacked keys. So yeah. you could you could move. You still needed 
uh, van to, to move it, though. To move it. And then you yeah. need about how many belts? At, at least a minimum of three men to move it. Yeah. To each gig? Yeah. Oh, wow. You couldn't leave it. You couldn't leave it. Yeah, no, wow. Okay, I didn't, I didn't, I had no idea. And she, she switched to the synthesizers. Yeah. And, and what's that? Is that like a keyboard? Yeah. Yeah. That's what, that's what you would call a keyboard now. It's, it's synthesis music that's not acoustic, you know. You can get an electric piano yeah. and you, like you, set piano. A, you yeah. can set up a setting that says B3 organ. So it'll emulate yeah, you, the sound. Yeah. You can get whatever sound you want from it. And you don't have to, you know, so. Karen talks about your mom carrying it herself, the, the keyboard when she. You know, oh, yeah. Uh, um, so that made it much more portable. So, yeah, uh, you know, um, you know, maybe not the original, but, the, you know, they're good facsimile. I, you know, I, I can't tell the difference now. They're so well I'm designed. Of, yeah. I'm trying to think of the first one that she got, I think. All right. So, wow, I would have no idea people carry organs with them. Years yeah. ago to play gigs. Goodness gracious. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, but that was the sound, right? So if that was your thing, you had to bring it, right? You There's had no to other bring way it. to do it because right. piano, piano wouldn't cut it. No. You know, piano has its no. own sound. And uh, so if you're an organ player and they don't have an organ, you've got to you you gotta bring it. You got to bring it. That's it. Hmm. Um, I saw that your mom also, um, she was on the radio. Right, I think she had mentioned in one or in one of the biographies she had. Um, yeah, WJLK had a radio show. That was a local radio station, mm-hmm. and uh, she and I, it was a it was a trio, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And they had and they would play. I believe that was in the fifties. Uh huh. Yeah, and she mentioned being on a show with George Hudson, who's a I guess a radio hall yeah, of famer. Yeah. You know of the what they used to call like the the of black radio right so mm-hmm. a big name in new jersey uh, wnjr in newark and also i guess there was a radio station here in asbury park wcap which used to be housed in the convention center mm-hmm. uh amy there's a they had the studio right there in fact they were famous for recording broadcasting live when the moral castle washed mm-hmm. up on the back mm-hmm. of the convention center and uh yeah. there was just happened to be a radio station with news reporters right there uh oh that's interesting yeah, yeah. I, I came across that one when trying to find like when I read there was a radio station, I looked it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, now they mentioned that George Hudson had broadcast here before moving to Newark, mm-hmm. but that they they had <clears throat> the whole convention center was set up to be wired to be a radio station. And so it was a pretty it was not an insignificant radio station at some point. Absolutely. We also have, I mean, just radio station factoids. Um, one of the biggest Haitian radio stations currently in Asbury Park. Um, so when I go on the Haitian radio station, I can't tell you how many people stop me and say they heard me on the Haitian radio station. Mm-hmm. I've heard that they station too. Yeah. Uh, right. Where's this? This, uh, this is a. It's question. over on Asbury Ave. Um, is it the behind ch- the church? Yes. Uh-huh. Well, it's in the basement of the church. Okay. 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 Yeah. 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 Anyway, That's I digress. from the park, right? Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lovely people who do a great job on that radio station. So mm-hmm. kudos to them. Um, so Paulette, you talked a little bit. Your mom, even when she was, even when she had dementia, she just she was still able to continue playing. Yes, and and got joy out of that. And and was that something that you had to organize? Just how did that process work? Because it, well, it must just, have been difficult on you. 
Well, you know, uh, we moved out here to Texas in 2018. And I, I got her piano so that she could just play whenever she wanted to. You know, rather than having to set up uh, 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 an electric keyboard and all that business because what we found out uh, is that when, when she would set up the keyboard, I guess it would bring back memories of being in the club and she tried to connect the wires and this and that and the other and she'd end up disconnecting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, we're going to fix that. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to fix that. So she, you know, the piano was here in the house and she uh -huh. could play whenever she wanted. Uh -huh. You know, my, my mother uh, passed from uh, Alzheimer's and dementia. And mm -hmm. it is interesting that music lasts all the way through, you know, when, yes. other, when other faculties faded, uh, music is quite powerfully still present. That's you know, it. Right. That's it. And um you know, I saw some uh, some of the clips you had put on her memorial of her playing, and you know, in her nineties. I mean, mm -hmm. like that's amazing. Um, you know, I, you know, something with my own with my own mother, <clears throat> she'd forgotten who I was, but could you know did like to sing Happy Birthday, even that, like just some sort of song. Yes. Or if we put on some music, yes. she would she would remember that she knew the song. Yeah. It's really a remarkable um, phenomena when you're working right. with someone who's suffering in that way. Music mm -hmm. it keeps um, is persistent. They don't lose it. No. They don't lose it. They don't lose it. It's because it because it brings you pleasure. It does. Music does bring you pleasure. Yeah, it plugs you into something, right? I don't. I don't. Whatever it is, whatever <laughs> it is, you know. It's and you don't have to do anything to listen to it. Right. No. You know. And what what brought you um, from Neptune Asbury to Texas? Uh, it was time for a change. It was time for a change. And I wanted to go somewhere where the cost of living was not as high as it is back east. Because you, you lived on, so I, you won't remember this, but I did like door to door at your house one year when I was running for office. Yeah, I lived on Summerfield. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. And how, how long had you been on Summerfield? A long time? Well, um, that was my uncle's house and he left it to me when he passed in 93. Mm. So I've been there that long. So from 1993 until 2018. Mm -hmm. So a lot there. of changes. Yes. I was going to say you saw a tremendous amount of changes. Absolutely. And, and good. But tell us a little bit about those changes, Paulette. Well, um, There were families that lived there when we were we were there, you know, initially, you know, when my family came there initially and bit by bit. The neighborhoods changed. Uh, children would get older, the mother and father would get older and the kids didn't want to live in Asbury. So the parents would be left with the houses and they couldn't take care of it or whatever. And then they end up selling. And that's what happened with a lot of the homes that were there in Asbury Park. Uh, it was. Um, it was. Asbury Park was was very multicultural. 
very multicultural and, and it eventually became major, a majority on the west side, a majority black area, African-American area and um, African-American, uh, Caribbean-American Caribbean and that it became that. And my uncle, I asked my uncle, I says, well, you, uh, before, before he died, and this is, this was kind of weird, you know, because I had a little, little part, little apartment, uh, right by the beach and this and that and the other. And I went to visit him one day and I said, you know, uncle, uncle, it's, and I, and before I knew it, it words were coming out of my mouth and I didn't understand why they were coming out because I didn't want to say them. And what I was saying is that, would you mind if I moved in here because I don't like living here by yourself? <laughs> and I'm saying, to myself, why are you saying this? You don't have to move. You don't want to move. You like where you are. And, and I'm saying this stuff. And he says to me, well, you know, Paul, you don't know how long I've wanted to hear you say that. Oh. I was like, whoa. Right. That's and, uh, yeah, you know. Whew. So <laughs> I, I've learned to just go with it. When I get those impulses, just go with it. <laughs> Just don't fight it. Don't fight it. You know, and had, um, I'm sorry, you know, okay, yeah. and it was you know, it the neighborhood changed, and people that own homes they died. The kids didn't want the homes, hmm. and they would. I guess they would go up for taxes or whatever, and they'd be taken over, and then they became apartment homes, and this and that and the other. You know, and people didn't have a vested interest in the property. So everything apparently went down. Mm -hmm. And um, when I sold my house, one of the conditions that I specified is that the person live in the house and not turn it over as a rental. Mm -hmm. And from what I understand, they did a fabulous job with the house and they're living in the house. Mm -hmm. You know, well, I had a question. Uh, you know, growing up, your your mom, she was one of eleven brothers and sisters, many of whom played music as well. Did you play music at all? No, no. I took lessons. Uh huh. And I, mom says, "I can't teach you. I can't teach you. I can't teach you." So it was okay. I <laughs> sing. I, I sing, but I don't. I don't play. Okay. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> Well, it's hard. Um, I was just thinking about generational changes. So your mom grew up in a family of 10 or 11. Many, many people played. But my parents, my mom grew up with a family of nine. And she grew up in a house also probably much like your mom's, where there was always a piano. It's always somebody who knew how to play. Mm -hmm. And now it's awfully expensive to have a piano. So no one, yeah. has, no one has that anymore, yeah. right? There was always somebody who could sort of do like a family sing-along. And there was always someone who could play a, a rudimentary piano enough to yeah. bring people together. And I just, you know, in terms of culturally, things have changed that that's become vanishingly scarce because just because who can afford a piano, <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know, or, uh, or even the uprights, yeah, right? And, um, and lessons, you know, I you know, musicians mm -hmm. have to, uh, music teachers have to make a living too, but it's awfully expensive to take the lessons needed to learn yeah, um, I had lessons and all that, but it, 
I, I, I went to school, you know, yeah. <laughs> that was my, you know, that was my thing. I liked school and I went to school, you know. And, and to some extent, I think you're, I don't want to say born with it, but your, your mom clearly had it very well, early on from performing she, she, to dancing with, I mean, that, that, I, so I, I have no musical talents whatsoever. And I've also done a ton of different lessons over the mm-hmm. years and I was terrible at all of it. Mm-hmm. It's terrible. I had there no, was no lesson you could yeah, get me that was yeah. going to make me any better. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I understand that totally. Yeah, I think she had. I think she had. A, you know, likely and, and was, I think as they call musicians, a, a natural inclination. A bit. It was a gift. Mm-hmm. It was a gift. You know, because you know, they say that at age three she just started playing. Bam. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. You know. Yeah. Like, and you hear stories of like Mozart apparently was writing operas at four. Like there's a certain kind of yeah. brain that picks up music like a language. So when they're starting yes. to talk, when they're well, starting. Well, it is the language, I would say. Uh, it absolutely it is. It, it totally, it, it absolutely, 100%. It's, it's, far, it can, it's like a foreign language. You, you, you can either, you learn it and you can e- either do it or you can't, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And here, yeah, I still can't, by the way. I take lots of lessons. Now I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Okay. <laughs> you know, I'm really good at practicing and the cats think I'm good. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I'm never going to play out like your mom did. You know. Paula, thank you so much for taking the time and sharing, um, you know, a little bit about, about Dee and, and all that she um, I- she gave to Esbury Park. I have a last. I have a last question, Paula. So you know, thinking about we, we used up in, uh, some of your time. So before we go, you okay. know, how would you like, when, like looking back at your mom at your mom's career? You know, how do we sum it up? What would your mom like to be remembered as? Like, you know, what do we what do we think about this really interesting person and career that go? You know, from the age of three to ninety playing music. You know, is there a way to sum up that, or or how you feel about that, or how she thought of herself? She'd always tell me I had a ball. <laughs> yeah. I have a ball. Mm-hmm. And that's what she would say. Uh-huh. She had a good life and she had a ball living it. Oh, good for her. No. Well, thank you for uh, agreeing to join us today. It's really uh really Thank you for inviting me.